Malachi chapter 1. And I'm going to start reading this morning at verse 6 and just go through the rest of the chapter. It says, Therefore I will make Samaria as a heap. Ah, we got to get over to Malachi, not Micah. <laughs> I knew that didn't sound right. <laughs> verse number 6. A son, a son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is mine, uh, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Ye polluted, uh, you offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And ye say, Wherein have we polluted bread, or uh, polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it now to thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? And now I pray you, beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This, um, this hath been by your means. Will he regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that should shut the doors for naught? Neither do ye kindle a fire upon mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts, neither will I accept an offering at your hand. For from the rising of the sun, every, uh, uh, even unto the going down of the same, uh, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place, incenses thereof shall be offered unto my name. And a pure offering for my name, saith the uh, um, for my name shall be great among the heathens, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye have profaned it, in that ye say the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. Ye said also, Behold, what a weariness it is. Ye have snuffed at it, and saith the Lord of hosts. Ye have brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this as your hand? saith the Lord, but cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male, and voweth the sacrifice unto the Lord, a corrupt thing, for I am the great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen men. You know, the book of Malachi deals fairly direct with a lot of different sins, a lot of shortcoming with the nation of Israel, a lot of the problems. You know, and there's something to be said about having a problem, having a shortcoming, and willfully walking in sin. We all fall and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us in here will make mistakes sometimes. We fall, we have uh, problems, we have accidents, we just have a momentarily lapse of, of character or weakness in our lives. But there's something very different from that than walking in sin and living in direct contrast to the word and to the will of God. And there's a lot of people who will live in contrast to the will of God knowing deliberately that they are doing it, but yet justifying it in our own lives lives and trying to make it, well, acceptable to us. And I'm going to tell us this morning, tell us this morning, that if we want to, we can justify anything that we do. All we need is a good reason to justify it. We can say, well, I stole that because I needed that. Well, I did this because, well, it was needful for me to do. And after all, others have done it. 
We can justify anything if we're willing just to simply deceive ourselves. But there is a standard. There is a desire that God has for us. There is a set ordinance that he wants us to follow and things that he wants us to do. And he lays it out in his word in very black and white, very bold proclamation that this is God's desire. The nation of Israel had a very clear directive for what God wanted them to do, especially when it came to the sacrifices and what God wanted them to do in their sacrifices and how he wanted them to live, how he wanted them to give reverence and honor to whom reverence and honor was due. Well, the first thing that he starts out here is talking about the reverence and honor due of a father and of a master. And the nation of Israel chose to accept God as their master and refer to him as their father. As many Christians do as well. How many of us will pray unto our Father which is in heaven? Or how many of us will refer to the Lord as our Lord and Master? Jesus Christ is our Lord and Master. And, and we also give them that title of reverence and respect. And if we're giving them the title of reverence and respect, respect do they not also deserve our actions of reverence and respect to them as well? You know, as we go through it, there's that respect and honor that is due to each of them. In fact, in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, the Lord tells us in one of the very ten basic commandments, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord hath given thee. Exodus chapter, or Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 2 tells us, Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. In fact, as we read through the word of God and we follow the Old Testament, we read through the, the law in Deuteronomy, it tells us that they were so expected to give honor and reverence to the parents that when a child was wayward or a child was uh, rebellious or disrespectful, there was ways to treat that as well. Listen to what Deuteronomy chapter 21 says. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother or that when they have chastened him he will not hearken unto them, they sh uh, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out to the elders of the city and unto the gate of the place and they shall say unto the elders of the city this our son is stubborn and rebellious and he will not obey our voice he is a glutton and a drunkard and all the men of the city shall stone him with stones that he die so shall thou put away evil from among you and the uh, and Israel shall hear and fear this was the law according to Moses to the nation of Israel. If they had children that didn't honor their parents, this was what was to be done with them. They were to be brought out to the city gates and stoned of the men of the city. Now, I'm not saying that we should do that, even though there's times in our lives we may want to do that. But nonetheless, this was the mandate for Israel. This was the law. This was the ordinance that God said, this is how you should do. So uh, the parents were to teach their children respect and reverence. And it's one thing to teach it to the children. But it's a very different thing to apply it to our own lives. This is where Malachi is coming from. Because after all, we could tell our children to sit down and listen to what I'm telling you. But then when God does that to his children, do we accept it in the same way? Amen. I'd be in a good place for an amen. Do we honor God as our father? Do we obey and hearken to his voice as we expect our children to obey and hearken to our voice? Do we give him reverence as a master as we do to our bosses as to their, our employers? 
You know, if we look at that, we're going to see some huge problems with the nation of Israel at this point in time. Uh, the priests, if we go on down in verse 6, obviously failed in their role. In fact, it says in verse 7, uh, Ye priests that despise my name, ye offer polluted uh, bread upon mine altar. And, and, you know, the priests were the ones responsible for making the judgment as the nation of Israel would bring their sacrifice to the priest. It wasn't the priest's responsibility to raise the flock. It wasn't the priest's responsibility to bring the sheep in. It wasn't him that was out there tending the, uh, the flock, raising the lambs to be slaughtered. The people had to make those choices, and they brought them to the priest. The priest would then take that offering, and he would inspect it, and he would view it to see if there there was anything wrong with that to see if there was any problems see if there was any spots or blemishes or if it was blind or if it was crippled and if it was uh, had any problem it was to be rejected and, and the people would then have to either go out and buy a suitable offering this is why we see the money changes in the temple uh, during the time of Christ, that they had the sheep that were there for sale or the offerings that were there for sale, or they would have to go back home and bring another sacrifice that was acceptable. The priest was the one that was supposed to make that judgment. But the people started to bring, maybe it started out just small. Maybe it was just a small problem on it. And the priest accepted that. So the next time it got a little bit bigger. So the priest accepted that. After all, you've already accepted one small problem. Why not accept two small problems? The picture is it's supposed to be, or the problem is it's supposed to be a picture of Jesus Christ, the perfect spotless lamb of God. And for the priest to offer polluted offering is saying that the Savior who came to redeem us didn't need to be sinless, didn't need to be without any sin in his life. But yet the word of God tells us that God demanded that perfection. He demanded Jesus Christ to be completely sinless. In fact, if we read in the New Testament, we find that Jesus came and he fulfilled that law that he was a perfect spotless lamb of God, that he was completely sinless. But yet the way the nation of Israel was painting this picture is that he was a sinful person. Amen? That's what they were saying. We have a word for that. Do you want to know what the word is? Heresy. When we offer polluted offerings and say this is the will of God, when we offer a polluted offering and we say this is the person of God or a picture or a representation, we are committing heresy. The nation of Israel was committing heresy as they would present him as a savior that had blemish or had fault. This is what the book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 7, verse 26 and 27. For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those priests to offer up sacrifice uh, first for his own sins and then for the people. For this he did once when he offered up himself. He did not need to offer sin sacrifices for himself because he was a holy spotless lamb of God. And this was the picture that they were supposed to be painting every time they brought an offering to the temple. But yet, they had got to the point that their hearts had grown so cold and so far away from God that they were willing to offer upon the altar of God a sacrifice that was not acceptable. A sacrifice that was a heresy, a heretical heretic, uh, uh, offering before God. As I said, the idea of the priest was to make sure that it was a proper sacrifice. 
And the priests had this standard that the people were supposed to adhere to. But so often it's what happens is when the leadership standards is lowered, then the follower standards are lowered as well. Amen? I've been another good place. I'm just going to get me a sign. <laughs> Hold it up one of these days. Maybe a lit up sign in front, you know, like they do at the studios with the applause. Just amen. Right there. Anyway. When the leadership lowers its standards, then the followers' standards will be lowered as well. I heard a joke the other day. A man was saying, the next time you get pulled over and the cops want you to write him a ticket, make him a bribe. And when the cop warns you that you can be arrested for bribing an officer, just keep raising the bribe until finally you get to the point where he accepts it and then make a citizen's arrest. And tell him you'll drop the charges if he'll, drop, if he'll give you back the money and drop the speeding charges. It sounds like a foolish little thing. But you know, there's a lot of truth to that. Once we lower our standards and we accept even a small amount of sin, what's just a little bit more? What's just a little bit more? If we allow it to, if we drink something and we allow just a small amount of impurities to come into it, how long will it be before we push the limit and say, well, maybe we can add just a little bit more? We can add just a little bit more. We allow sin to come into our life in just a small amount. After all, this one time is not going to hurt me. But then next time it's two times. And then the next time it's three and four until finally we find ourselves back in bondage. We find ourselves back in bondage to sin and to the world. The priest was supposed to be the last line of defense there, but it wasn't just his fault. It was also the congregation fault for bringing the offerings to the Lord. They were all at fault. It wasn't just one. They were all held accountable. They were all culpable of the problem that they brought to the Lord. They were all saying it is contemptible. The word contempt here literally means to hold and disdain or to think to be scorned. It was why the, well, why they kept the good sheep and offered the blind. After all, the blind's not going to live, is it? Let's go ahead and kill it anyway. That's all they're going to do for the sacrifice is kill it and then burn it. And this blind one can be killed and burned just as easy, can it? It was a state of attitude and a mentality that the nation had at that time. And it was a mentality and an attitude that was not just prevalent for them, but also as we go over into the New Testament, we see it still there. And I dare say we still see it in today's world. You remember the story about Jesus when Mary took the ointment and she poured it out upon his feet. This is what the Gospel of John in chapter 12 records about this event. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spinnaker, a very costly anointment, and the feet of Jesus, and uh, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, when should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This, verse 6, he said, and not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare that that was put in. Think about that. Mary performs this duty to Christ. And she pours out this oil upon him. And he sees it and he holds it in contempt. He says, why wasn't it taken and sold and given to the poor? Why do we give our best sheep 
to the altar. Why don't we just keep them for ourselves and sell them, make more money for ourselves? Because if we make more money for ourselves, then can't we help with the ministry more? Amen? Right? Isn't that the way some people would view it? But yet, this is not in the will of God. Jesus had to go on and say that this was done for purpose, that, that she would be blessed, that her name would be mentioned as often as we read the scripture and come across this story, that she would be honored for her, for her gift, that the poor were always going to have. But it goes on to tell us even more in verse 6 that it wasn't because he cared for the poor. It was because he was a thief. It was because his mentality, it was because he wasn't who he thought or said that he was. It wasn't that he was thinking of God, but he was thinking of himself. The nation of Israel under the same way. It wasn't that they were bringing it because, well, we want to honor God with their sacrifice. They were thinking of themselves. They were offering blind sacrifices. They were offering lame sacrifices. They were offering sacrifices that were not perfect because they wanted to keep the good ones for themselves they held it in contempt they didn't see it as being worthy they didn't see it as doing what God would want them to do you know as I said this is something that was not only prevalent for the nation of Israel wasn't only there during the time of Christ but it's something that happens in today's modern New Testament church something that happens today would anyone here Think about what it means to be contemptible to the Lord, to offer upon his altar polluted offerings. This is what Malachi goes on to say. Why wouldn't we offer them to our government? Why would we not take the same thing and give them to those in our government, in our leadership roles, and expect them to receive it? Can we imagine doing that? Can you imagine for the nation of Israel to take a blind or a crippled sheep and give it to, well, King David as a gift and say, David, I brought this for you, and I want you to receive honor. I'm not going to talk about politics here this morning. I'm going to talk about politics here for a minute this morning. I'm going to try not to, but I'm going to. Sometimes it's hard to do that. Our dignitaries, our president, our ambassadors and representatives oftentimes they go and they they bear a gift to the ruler or the leader of another nation and throughout history there have been some great gifts that have been given back and forth and, and gifts of honor and reverence and respect and just beautiful things and we were given by england not too many years ago a bust of winston churchill that was a beautiful bust and it was given to us as a, a gift from them uh, which we in return or uh, since then have returned back to them I remember our president gave to Queen Elizabeth an iPod with his speeches on it. And I'm not trying to put down our president and throw anything on it, but can we imagine the idea of doing that to the queen? Giving her an iPod with some speeches on it instead of something that we have in our ability to give. That it was a gift that was not, in my opinion, was not very well thought of. It was not very well, uh, didn't show the respect and the reverence that should have been shown. I say that not to put him down, but to let us know the kind of gifts that we sometimes offer to God. If I told you that Queen Elizabeth was coming to the church this morning, how many of us would have got up a little earlier today, cleaned up a little bit more, read her Sunday school lessons, been here to attend Sunday school and got a front row seat? 
If I told you Queen Elizabeth was going to be here today, how many of us would have been on our best behavior? How many of us would have let everyone know that this is what's going to take place today and I expect everyone here to be on their best behavior? How many of us would come in with an attitude of reverence and respect to her? I would hope that we all would. But why would we do that and not do the same for our Lord? How many of us in here, if I ask you this morning to make sure to bring a gift or to bring a, a something that just conveyed your thoughtfulness to Queen Elizabeth, what would we bring? But yet when we do that for the Lord, sometimes we bring offerings that we wouldn't give to our government, governor. We wouldn't give to the person in charge of us at work. How many of us in here would give the excuse to our boss that, I'm sorry I wasn't there yesterday, I just, I was sleeping and couldn't get up. I'm sorry that I didn't do what you asked me to do because, to be honest with you, I was just a little tired yesterday. And I'm not trying to fuss and put us down. I think that this church is a very good church, but I'm saying that as a general notion, the people in America, and even here at church sometimes, we can be a little bit distant from what God would have us to do. Does he want everything from us? Yes, he wants, us, he wants all of us. He wants everything that we have to offer. Does he demand more of us than we can give? And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But sometimes I think that we hold the service of the Lord, we hold our dedication to him in contempt. Some of the things that we would do in the presence of God, we would never do in the presence of our boss. Some of the things that we do at church, we would never do at work. Some of the attitudes that we hold toward God, we would never hold towards our earthly figures, the, the leaders in our earthly figures. The Lord calls this action in verse 8. This is not John speaking. This is the Lord and if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? That's God speaking, not me. If we don't offer the honor and the reverence to God that God deserves, is it not evil? He goes on in verse 9. And now I beseech you, pray God. Now I pray you, beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. I want you to just think about what they're saying there. I believe, I preach, I teach, and I'm going to stand on the fact that the God that we serve is merciful and gracious and long-suffering, abundant in goodness and in truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. And I will preach that as long as there's breath in my lungs. And as long as God has caught me called to the ministry and he gives me a pulpit to speak from or he gives me a forum to share that, I'm going to share the character of God. And I believe that he is gracious, but I'm going to tell you something. We cry out for his grace. We cry out for his blessings in our life, yet holding sin in the other hand. Malachi was pointing out, here you come and you offer blind sacrifices, sacrifices that are not befitting even of our governors and of our rulers. And then on the other hand, we cry, Lord, bless me. Pour out your grace upon me. By the way, I'm preaching out of the word of God this morning. No person can be actively engaged in sin 
willfully, knowingly engaged in sin and expect a holy God to bless that life. If we are willingly, actively engaged in sin, going against the will of God, going against what he knows or what we know that he wants us to do, and we are pleading for his blessings, we are pleading for his grace, then we are living the life of a hypocrite. No person can expect God to bless that. He goes on in verse 10. He says, is there any among you that would shut the door to this? Is there any among you that would step out the fire? Is there any among you that would see such things going on and you would just say, no, enough is enough? Let's close the door. Let's stop the sacrifices. Let's put out the fire. Let's not even offer them if they're going to be that way to God. And God is looking at the nation and saying, who is there among you that would shut the doors? But yet the very priests themselves were allowing the sacrifice to take place on a daily basis. And on a daily basis, the people were bringing the sacrifices in. And God is saying, is there any among you that would shut the door? Is there any among you that would say enough is enough? Is there any among you that would stand up and protest against this? Is there any among you that have the morals and the standards befitting of a child of the king? I remember a pastor friend of mine, Brother David, him would know who I'm speaking of. He came to church one Sunday morning and he was pretty discouraged about the church not being active in ministry, not willing to show up. And his, his discouragement was the church nursery. And it was a large church, a few hundred people that was in attendance. He had a hard time getting people that would work the nursery. And he had decided that week that he was just going to come and just let the pulpit stay empty and just put a sign or something on the pulpit saying, uh, uh, Brother David is in the nursery. Uh, we needed nursery workers, and he's volunteered this morning. And he decided that was a little bit harsh that he wouldn't do that. But his point was still very, it was made very plain, very clear. That the people were coming, but they weren't willing to pour out their life to God. They weren't willing to shut out the door. They weren't willing to do what God would have them to do. To make it very clear, he goes on in verse 11 to tell us who God is. Is his name not still great? Is not this the great God? Is this not? I mean, if it, we, we offer this to God, we do this for God, we, we point at him this way, we make sacrifices that are defaming the name of Christ. We offer a sacrifice to him that we wouldn't offer to our governors and to our priests, but yet we will still stand and proclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Glory to his name. Praise him Praise him. And this is no more than what Malachi is saying here. From, from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and every place incense shall be offered, and my name, and the pure offering, and my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. He's wanting his name to be glorified and proclaimed loudly. He wants his name to be uplifted. He wants us as his ambassadors to proclaim the glory of God. To lift up his holy name. I wonder in all of our lives. How often we proclaim the glory of God outside of these doors. The nation of Israel. Their main job was to proclaim the glory of God. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Verse 5 through 8 said, Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me. Moses is speaking. 
that ye should do so in the land wherein ye go to possess. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nation which shall hear the statute and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great who God hath so nigh to them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? And what nation is there so great that, his, that hath the statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? This is what the nation of Israel was supposed to be doing. Letting people see and proclaiming God and telling how great he is. It's our responsibility to proclaim the greatness of God. The other things are secondary. I've had a little bit of a moral crisis this week. The past couple weeks really. Talking about salvation. I shared it with Brother David the other day. Kim and I talked about it. I talked with Brother Ernie Hopper about it. I believe in salvation. I believe that we need to proclaim the salvation of God. I believe that we need to talk about how God still forgives sin. But sometimes I think that we get so focused on that latter part that we forget to tell that God is great. That he is able to forgive sin. That he is the one that needs to forgive us of the sins. That our job is to proclaim the glory of God. And these other things will come up to that. He goes on, he talks about the table of the Lord being polluted. The word polluted is refuse or to be desecrated or to be considered as dung. We already talked about contemptible, to be disdained. And this is the, nation, uh, the attitude of the nation. They approached him with such disdain. They approached him with such irreverence. And this is why they came to him in weariness, as it goes on to say here, and then um, well, and snuffed at it. Sometimes I think that we get the idea that serving the Lord is hard. Living according to his standards is a burden. Doing what God wants us to do is difficult. Bringing the offerings that are pure and holy to bringing him the things that he would have us to do, to do these great things. Sometimes we, we get it in our mind that it's hard, that it's, that it's difficult to, uh, to do. But this is what the word of God tells us in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. It says, for, the love, uh, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. <coughs> hard. No, he goes on to say, and his commandments are not grievous. It's not hard. It's not difficult. It's not something that we're incapable of. We are capable of doing what God would have us to do. We are capable of living the life that God has called us to if we would just simply submit our lives over to his ordinances, if we would just simply submit our lives over to his leadership, if we would just simply give up on what we want to hold to and say, Lord, I truly give you my all. I led all on the altar for you, not just a portion of it, but I want to give you everything. I want you to take my mind and transform it, conform it, renew it into your image. Let me think upon the things that are peaceable. Let me think upon the things that are holy. Let me think upon the things that are pure, the things that are honest, the things that are true. Reform my mind, change it into your image. Take my body and use it to glorify your most holy name. Let the works of my hands be about the ministry of Jesus Christ. Let the feet of my body tread me and take me places where you would have me to go let my inner beings bring glory to you with all that is within me lord let me praise and proclaim your holy name this is what god desires of us and it's not hard it's easy his commandments are not 
grievous. It's not about just the blind and the broken sheep that were brought. It's not about money. It's not about offerings. It's not about church attendance. It's not about Sunday school attendance. It's not about being here every time the doors are open or being in our fellowship every time. It's about the reverence and honor to God. It's about a heart condition and how we feel about if our lives, if our beings are in the right place with God, if we are living in accordance with what God would have us to do, all these other areas will fall into place. We do not have to purpose ourselves to read the Word of God on a daily basis. If our heart is right with God, we will want to get into the Word of God and read it. We do not have to purpose and fashion in our lives and set time aside to pray. If our heart is right with God, we will look forward to it, and it will be a joyful time for us to get into his presence. We do not have to force ourselves to go to church if our heart is right with God. We'll want to not forsake the assuming of ourselves together. If our heart's right with God, these other things will be very simple and easy. There'll be things that we want to do. There'll be things that we desire to do. We will want to bring honor and glory to God, and we will want to give him our best, not our leftovers. We will want him to have the spotless, pure sacrifices of our praise and our worship instead of the broken, spotted, lame sacrifices and worship that is so often, often offered to God. In verse 14, the Lord once again reiterates who he is. For I am the great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. I want to ask a question this morning in closing. Is God our great king? Do we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord, as our master? Do we reverence God as our father?